This is the word of the Lord. This is why we constantly thank God, because you received the word of God that you heard from us. You welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us. They displease God and are hostile to everyone by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. As a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit, and wrath has overtaken them at last. Thank you, Jenny. Well, church, uh, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, I would invite you to follow along with us uh, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 16 that Jenny just read for us. And as we begin to think about that passage, um, I, was, I was thinking this week about how we are made in the image of God. And... Part of that, I mean, there's lots of ways that we could descri- describe being made in the image of God, but part of that is the ability to communicate, and specifically, the ability to communicate thoughts, imaginings, emotions, truth. These are part of what it means to be made in the image of God, and it sets us apart from the rest of creation. And we communicate in various ways. We communicate verbally, like I'm doing with you now, and lots of nonverbal communication. We were, I was having a discussion with someone uh, the other night about uh, when you're text messaging, some, messaging someone, and they might say a phrase. And you might wonder, I read these words, but I can't hear the inflection of their voice. I can't read their facial expression. I don't see their body language. So I'm not exactly sure what they mean. Um, so an example, one, uh, one lady was reading this text that said, what are you doing? And she thought it was, what are you doing? But her husband was trying to assure her and said, no, it was just, hey, what are you doing? And it means a lot that we can communicate Verbally, non-verbally, of course, in written word. I don't know if you love to read like I do, but uh, that's invaluable to be able to communicate with a written word. Of course, with artistic means of communication, makes the world uh, beautiful. Uh, and then, of course, lately, digital means of communication, digital mediums. So we were created in God's image, and part of that is the ability to communicate. And so we also have to recognize that human communication, human messages have limits. That's why today we're talking about no human message. No human message. Because human messages have limits. Now, some messages are intended to deceive. Some human messages are intended to deceive. We've all experienced this. Whether it's a commercial trying to get us to buy a product that obviously cannot fulfill 
what is intended to. Uh, or those little spam texts that you get. I don't know if you get these, but I get them all the time. In fact, I got one just before I came up here, and this is what it said. It was intended to deceive. It says, I'm Annie. Are you Kurt? Now, obviously, this is a spam trying to get me to interact and engage, and who knows what the end goal is. So some messages seek to deceive. Others are simply mistaken. Um, There is this... um, this kind of phenomenon in human psychology uh, that's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect, but this is what it is. Someone who has low ability, low expertise, low experience regarding some subject, some topic, some area of knowledge, they tend to overestimate their knowledge and their ability in that field. So they'll be arrogant, they'll be boastful, when in fact, they have very low knowledge in that area. And so that's a mistake that humans make in our messaging. And part of what this uh, leads to is that we don't know who to trust. We don't know who's telling us the truth, who's mistaken, who's trying to mislead us. All human messages, at some point, they have a limit. A limit in uh, power, a limit in wisdom, in effectiveness, and seeing the big picture, there are limits to all human messages. And you've experienced this. It's turned out to be true in your life in some way. Maybe it's led you in the wrong direction, led you to negative outcomes. But today, we see in our passage that this message we're talking about is no human message. God communicates. And specifically, God communicates to us the true and powerful message of Jesus and the salvation that comes through him. We look at this, uh, this passage, we see that. We see Paul describing to the Thessalonians that this message is from God. It's not a human message. It's not a message that has limits, either in power or wisdom or effectiveness. No, this is God's true and powerful message of salvation through Jesus. So that's what I hope we can explore today. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for your truth, for the message of Christ. Thank you that we can understand it because you communicate it to us. Thank you that we can trust it. We can lean on it. We can believe in its power, its truth, and its effectiveness. God, would you not only instruct us from your word, but would you inspire us and empower us and motivate us to live out the following of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Part of Paul describing this message as God's message is that he points to the fact that it is brought by God's messengers. And so God's message 
comes through God's messengers. Hebrews 1 describes this in summary. It says, long ago, God spoke to the ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So we see God's true messengers all through the scripture. And here is a list of some of those true messengers of God's message. First of all, we see in the Old Testament lots of different times a description of the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. And there's, there's lots of different uh, ideas of what exactly this means. Uh, some understand it to be the presence of God coming down in some representation form that people can comprehend. For instance, you get uh, an image of the Father coming down and walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. Some understand it to be the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But whatever that uh, the angel of God can be specifically, we know this is one way that God communicated his messengers to those who needed to hear. And then you, you see this broad category of angels. Angels are true messengers of God. And various, we, we have lots of different ideas of what angels might be. We have throughout the scripture these uh, different glimpses of the heavenly creatures that God has created. But specifically, angels, uh, the word angel comes from the Greek angelos, which means messenger. God's messengers. And so we see a, a perfect glimpse of this in Luke chapter 1. We see both to Zechariah and to Mary this, this sending of a messenger, an angel to bring a word from God. Of course, they're the prophets that are messengers of God. Prophets, uh, sometimes we think of prophecy as uh, telling the future, future or divining something that's hidden. And, and at times that's part of the way prophets operated. But primarily in the scriptures, prophets were people through whom God chose to send his message. Sometimes, uh, mostly it was to God's people, but sometimes it was to other peoples, other nations, to speak a word of warning or judgment. Prophets were God's messengers. And then, as we just read in Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the ultimate messenger from God because he is the word of God incarnate. As Jesus speaks, he reveals the true and complete word of God. Then we see those who gave eyewitness to Jesus. So the apostles, the eyewitnesses uh, that are in the New Testament, these are those who can speak the message of God pointing to Jesus and said, we saw him as the word of God. We saw what he did. We, we witnessed what he said, and we can attest to you that it's true. Here is an example from 2 Peter chapter 1. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths 
when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. So these apostles and eyewitnesses were like the prophets, not giving their own message, but giving the message of God. And also, for our benefit, we have the written word of God as God's true messenger to us. Where would we be these 2,000 years later if not for the written word that is the written word of God, of his angels, of his prophets, of, his, of Jesus and his words, and of the apostles and eyewitnesses. Where would we be? We are so thankful for God's messenger, the written word. And now we get to be part of the messengers of God. Because all through the history of God's people, God's people have been messengers to tell forth the message of God. And especially, it's, it's spelled out in the New Testament. As Jesus sends out his followers, he says, go into the world and proclaim this good news, this message that all will hear, hear and be saved. And so we, as followers, followers of Jesus, participate as true messengers of God. So if these are the messengers then what is the message? And the message of God is the good news. The good news of power, life, and transformation. And it is the only message for the power, life, and transformation that we need. Now, I want to stop here and say, when we say good news, we, we get this from the New Testament word gospel. And so you'll hear uh, both today and throughout uh, our teaching, our discussion in church that we'll say gospel and good news interchangeably because gospel actually means good news. And so when we say gospel, it's kind of Christianese shorthand, but it means good news. News And so what is this good news, this message of God? Well, first of all, the message of God is all about Jesus. Let's look at Acts 17. It says, as usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and raise and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. So Paul, in this instance, went into the synagogues as it was his habit, and he, his message was from the scriptures to prove to those hearers that there was a Messiah a Messiah that had to suffer 
and rise from the dead and that Jesus was this Messiah. The word Messiah, we now use the Greek word, we say Christ. Jesus the Christ. And so we think about this message, this good news that's all about Jesus. We think of the good news in four movements of God. And you might could think of it this way, that these four movements are really bullet points in the message of God's plan to rescue his people. Because if we just fixate on, well, these four things, these are the gospel in totality, well, really they're like headings, they're like bullet points into which all of God's story of, re- of rescue and redemption fit into that. And so we're going to see that in a moment. But here are the headings, the bullet points, the four movements of God that are the good news. First, creation. Second, fall third, redemption, and then restoration. Because the gospel is the entire story of God's plan of redemption for his people. And so I want to expound on these four. So I'm going to ask our slide operator, just leave it on this page. And you can see, you can follow along and see how I'm going to go through uh, Genesis to Revelation, and you're going to see how all of the story of the rescue and redemption of God's people fit into these four bullet points. And it's important for us to realize that, that the message of God's good news is full of beauty, it's full of depth, it's connected to our personal stories, our life, and it, it's never far from us, no matter what stage of faith we're in. As we heard from our liturgy today, sometimes as believers, we say, I've heard this. I know this. It's, it's so familiar, familiar to me that I almost forget the power of the gospel. Or I want to skip over it to get to other things, maybe uh, some of our favorite bits of scripture that we want to focus on that. But instead, we need to remember that the gospel is for us. It is never far from us as believers. So here is the entire story of God's plan of redemption. God existed before anything. He has always existed and has always been God. There is no other God. There has never been any other God and there never will be any other God. And God created all things for himself. The universe and the earth and everything in them were created by God and for God. God designed and created people to be his people, to reflect his glory, and to live in perfect relationship with him. However, people rejected God by choosing to go against his plan. The first people, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God and incurred guilt, judgment, wrath, and punishment. That guilt, judgment, wrath, and punishment was passed down to all of their descendants, and each person has followed in their footsteps 
by choosing to reject God through sin. That sin separates people from God. God who is completely holy, righteous, and pure. Sin is an offense against God's holiness and his glory. Because of the seriousness of sin's offense against God, sin carries the steep penalty of death. All people, all people are born with sin and have chosen sin and rightly deserve God's punishment. Now we are helpless, powerless to cleanse ourselves from sin, helpless to put ourselves back in right standing with God. Yet, yet God worked through time, throughout all time to show us our need for a Savior and to send a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. Jesus is God the Son who became flesh through the miraculous birth from the womb of a virgin. Jesus lived a sinless life, proclaiming the coming of God's kingdom and pointing people to their need for cleansing from sin. This same Jesus died on the cross, bearing our sins, paying our penalty, the innocent for the guilty, the pure for the defiled, the son of God for the enemies of God. Through his death on the cross, Jesus completely paid the price for sin and then came back to life again. His resurrection proves that he has conquered sin, death, the grave, and hell. Then Jesus ascended to the presence of God as our reigning king. We, uh, where he provides intercession for his people and gives us assurance of his power, the power to give forgiveness of our sins and gives us the assurance of the promise of our redemption. Therefore, salvation is by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. Faith comes when we hear the good news about Jesus. We believe that it is true. We turn away from our sins and trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Believing in Jesus is not simply a one-time decision, but rather a lifelong faith that affects every aspect of life. The result of salvation is abundant and eternal life. Abundant life is a life of purpose, meaning, joy, peace, and satisfaction from a right relationship with God through Jesus. Eternal life means that we will live forever in God's presence It's experiencing life as God originally intended. And this is the message of God. A message for you, a message for me, and a message 
for the whole world. This gospel is the entire story of God's plan of redemption for his people. Now, there is a response. God's message requires a response from us. When we think about responding to the message of God, it's not, our response is not blind following. Sometimes that is an argument against following Jesus or against living by faith. It's this idea that you're just blindly following. But no, it is not blindly following, but it is engaging our entire lives to this true message. Our minds and our hearts and our, all of our intellect and our understanding is not blindly following. Here's an example of blindly following. This week, I saw two different articles describing two separate recent events where tourists in a location they were unfamiliar with drove their cars into bodies of water. And why would they do that? Because they were following their GPS. And the GPS told them this was the way to go. And they blindly followed. Does anybody remember the episode on The Office where that happened? It seemed ridiculous then. And it is ridiculous because we were not intended to blindly follow. And so what is the response that God wants from us? Because God's message requires a response from us. A couple months ago, uh, Pastor Jeremiah, that might have been the first time we've called him Pastor Jeremiah from the pulpit, but Pastor Jeremiah preached a powerful sermon on the parable of the sower and the seeds. And so it described the various ways people respond to the message of God. So if you want more fleshed out Uh, versions of how people respond. I encourage you to go look for that, the parable of the sower and the seeds. But I do want to recognize that plenty of those who hear the good news of Jesus turn away in some form. Maybe they outright reject the message. Maybe they let uh, other thoughts, other uh, ideas uh, kind of dissolve the power of the message. Maybe they Uh, only partially or temporarily accept and follow the message. And I want us to think, how are we going to respond? If the message of God requires a response, how will we respond? Maybe if you're new to hearing the message of God, or maybe if you've not taken a step to respond, how will you respond? Or maybe you're one of us that have been following Jesus Are you remembering that response? Is it real? Is it a daily response of faith? So in our passage, Paul lays out some of the ways that we should respond to the message of God. So this is where you can follow along. Because in in these few short verses, 13 through 16, we're going to see the different ways he, he sees in the believers in Thessalonica. He sees their response to this true message of God. First, he says, 
that we need to receive the message of God. And so on one hand, that's hearing, but it's the opening up to let that message in. We receive it, and then we welcome it. And so this is how we say, uh, I am going to not only hear it, you know how you hear some things, but you keep it at arm's length. You say, I will hear you out, but I'm going to keep my distance. No, this is welcoming in, saying, I feel the power of this. I have a sense that it is from God, and so I am welcoming this message. But that's not the extent of it, because then we have to be convinced that it is true. Remember, I said it's not blind following. We welcome the message, but then we want to be convinced that it is true, because we were made with brains, with intellect, with an ability to understand. Uh, And here's an example from Acts chapter 17. You may have heard of the Bereans. Well, when uh, Paul and Silas were sent away to Berea, it says that upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So they welcomed it, they received it, and then they wanted to be convinced that it was true. They searched the scriptures so they could be convinced that the word, the message, was a true one. But then what's the response? After you've welcomed it, received it, and and you're convinced that it's true, well, the next is that you believe. It doesn't stay in our in our intellect, in our brain, in our understanding, now we believe it. We put our lives behind it. We follow in faith. It's not enough to have heard the truth about Jesus. Maybe you have been to church all your life. Maybe you've heard the message from your mother and your grandmother, like Timothy in the Bible. Maybe you have read the Bible for yourself and you are convinced that it's true. But if you never believe, if you never say, not only is this true, but this is the truth that I need. This is the truth that I will live my life on because of Jesus. Then knowing is not enough. Believing, following. But then Paul says that a response to this message is conviction, having conviction. And Paul points out even the conviction to live on that message of Jesus in the face of persecution. And so he describes the persecution that the believers at Thessalonica were receiving. And it was a persecution from the people of the Jewish faith who did not believe in Jesus. Now, I want to I take a, just a quick moment to say, if you just read this passage in isolation without the context of the rest of the New Testament, you might think this is an anti-Semitic passage because it calls out the Jews for persecuting the believers in Jesus. And that's not what Paul was saying because Paul was a Jew. Most of the people that had been led to Christ at that point were Jewish people. No, he's not saying the Jewish people are bad. He's saying that there were among the Jewish people of the Jewish faith who not only rejected that Jesus was the Messiah, 
that they would go on to try to get in the way of the spreading of the message of Jesus and persecute those who were trying to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. And that's what's described here in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, that these people of the Jewish faith came and persecuted that church to try to keep them from spreading the message. But they withstood that persecution. They did not back down. They had the conviction that came from understanding and believing the message of God, and they pressed on sharing the good news in the face of persecution. I think this is one that as believers, we need more of. We know it, we've welcomed it, we believe the message, but maybe we don't live out the conviction to stand on the truth, to proclaim the truth, even in the face of persecution. And then Paul describes their response to the message as being hope for salvation and judgment. Hope for justice in the name of God. Hope that their work was, as joining with God in this spreading the message, it was a work that would be effective. It was a work that would be, bring about God's purposes. And so that leads us to this last, bar, last part. What are the results? But Paul gives us this promise that the message of God works effectively. So the message of God produces results. In those who believe. The fruit of following the message of God. And here is a scripture that many of us have heard quoted many times. From Isaiah 55, 11. God says, my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. God's message is powerful, effective, and will produce results in those who believe and follow it. Now, I want to say here that the the fruit of following Christ, the results of the message, that's another another sermon. It's a full sermon in itself. And so we're not going to have time to go on and flesh out all the results of following Christ the message of Christ, but I will give you a little glimpse that we see in scripture. Here are the results of the message of God and those who believe. First, relationship with God. Remember, restoring us back to what we were created for. In Christ, we have relationship with God. Also, as a result of following God's message is belonging to God's people. Not only do we come and sit in a room together, but you know how we call it a faith family, a body of believers. We are connected to each other. We belong. We have a place where we are sharing in this walk of Christ. And then we have a life of transformation as a result of the message of God. Transformed from the inside out. It's not enough that we want Uh, to look like we're following Jesus. If that's as far as it ever gets, then we're missing the power of the message. It's transformation from the inside out, that we are becoming more and more aligned to the character and person of Jesus Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. That life of transformation leads to joy, to peace, 
to satisfaction, things that can only be found in relationship with God, and then a life that is on mission, that has purpose, that has meaning. These are results of the message of God at work in his people. And so here are some final thoughts. We need to recognize that our fallen flesh, that part of us that's, that's waiting to be finally renewed, transformed, glorified, are in our fallen flesh, we're inclined to trust false messengers. And we are inclined to resist the true message of God. We have to recognize that so that we can notice when we're following a false messenger and when we're forgetting and neglecting the true message of God. And then we need to seek to hear, to believe, to follow, follow the message of God in our daily lives. It's one thing to come and worship with God's people. It's even another thing to have a, a morning devotion. But if that's where it ends, we need to correct that. That every step, every day is done in response to God's truth. Let's seize opportunities to join with God as vessels for the good news of the salvation that's in Jesus. We are given opportunities. In fact, my brother Kyle was sharing with us uh, just uh, this week that God had given him an opportunity out of the blue to share the good news with a coworker. And if we will have our eyes open, God will give us opportunities like that. Let's seize those opportunities. And finally, let's enjoy, live in the power and transformation of God's true message. Will you pray with me? God, what a message you give us in the scripture that you communicate to us by your power, by your true messengers. And Lord, as we see with the Thessalonians and others, would you move us to respond? Those who are yet believers, would you draw them to faith? Those of us that are believers, would you unlock our hearts to remember and live in the beauty and the depth and the meaning of the message? And not forget it, not set it aside, but let our everyday lives be steeped in this true message. And as we turn our hearts to worshiping through the table of the Lord, help us to have our eyes and our hearts on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.